You can find the passage on, play, on page four in your bulletin. Today's passage is Isaiah 58. Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a, like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. Like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the poor and homeless into your house? to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood, then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your, your rear guard. At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger-pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never turns dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord. And I, will make, and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Wow. How are you guys all doing? Good. It, uh, it's only two weeks left. <laughs> And then we get our teacher back, our actual pastor. <laughs> so um, anyways, it's good to see you guys, and I'm excited to have Pastor Eric back with us really soon. I can't believe it's like a blink of an eye and it's over. Um, but uh, I just want to give you guys a warm welcome, especially those of you who are new and visiting Trinity for the first time. Um, for those of you guys who don't know me, I'm, my name is David. Um, I'm the pastoral intern here. I'm part of the staff, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, uh, Reagan, over there, and uh, we have two boys, two twin boys, and this coming November we'll invite two more twins, or two girls. <laughs> so it'll be exciting and, and uh, a lot. Uh, but every time um, 
you know, uh, you know, I'm up here. I, I kind of want to just tell you a little bit about ourselves so you can get to know our family better. So last time I shared with you about our dating story, today I'll talk to you about our engagement story. <laughs> so um, this happened way back in October of 2017. And uh, this was during a time when I was still living in Bangkok and uh, serving there with a little church plant. And uh, I was still trying to figure out when, when's the right time to actually propose? You know, I didn't have a ring. I was telling her next year. And uh, I went scouring Yawarat, know, the Chinatown in, in, in Bangkok, to look for Russian diamonds, fake diamonds, real diamonds. I was just afraid they might sell me glass. But, <laughs> but it was affordable. So I was like, okay, so maybe, maybe this would work. But then I forgot that my brother and my sister-in-law was actually going to come over and visit. And so it turned out that my brother actually rushed a diamond over with my sister-in-law uh, that a friend made for us, and then um, I used that to propose. But in the proposal, I was going to try to make it special. And if you guys know anything about me, I love video editing and things like that. And so um, I remember uh, talking to my father-in-law, asking for his permission, recording the conversation without his permission or telling him about it, and then taking that... <laughs> <laughs> and putting it in the video. And uh, I thought it was okay, because, like, you know, he's a telecom lawyer, so it's fine. So, <laughs> but um, he forgave me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I used that on the day uh, to propose to, uh, to, to Reagan. Um, but another thing is, you got to have the ring, you got to have your father-in-law's permission, and you got to have the place to do it. And it turned out that uh, one of my best uh, Thai friends, uh, Mao, she found this place called the Shangri-La. And Shangri-La is an older hotel overlooking the Chaparaya River, and it's gorgeous. You can get to see this beautiful river, night boats, and things like that during the night, and it was like this perfect place. So I came up with a scheme. I don't have enough time, so I don't tell you the whole scheme, but basically got Reagan there, got down one knee, played the video for her, and then she said, yeah. <laughs> And it was great. And I wanted it to be a surprise. I was so excited. And um, when we were in the buffet line, I looked to her and I was like, hey, you, uh, did, you, did you know this was a surprise? And then she was like, no, I kind of knew. Right? <laughs> right? And, and here's the thing. She, uh, she actually didn't know, but because prior to that day, she had a, a language test. And if you're a missionary, you, you actually have language tests every, uh, every quarter or so. Um, but our mutual friend was her tester, and she came to this testing facility, and basically, um, she met her name, Yu, and um, she was like, oh, congratulations, I heard that uh, you got engaged. Um, and then, of course, Reagan's there for the language test. And she's like, no, no, it's, it's probably next year in January. And Yu was like, what? No, 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 no. I was invited to your party, and I can't make it to it because I'm going to another party. Um, and then she was like, oh, I don't really think so. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. I really, I really think that's uh, what I heard, though. That's what you said. I don't know, but if we do, I won't tell him you said anything. Um, so that's actually what happened, right? So as you can imagine, hearing that after so much excitement and her saying yes, you're like, you don't even know how to process it, right? Like, there's a, a mixture of joy, melancholy, disappointment, and all of the emotions that go with it. Um, and so even though the engagement didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go, uh, Reagan still said yes, and that was a success. Um, and so today, we're actually going to talk a little bit about another disappointment. 
um, that we're going to talk about, right? But except this disappointment didn't end in a, a yes, it ended in a no, right? We see in today's passage, right, there's so much anticipation, so much way of living. I mean, I mean, you read the passage and you see, like, these Israelites cared about the way of life, right, about the Jewish way of life, about what it meant to observe the Jewish culture. But God was actually not even pleased with them, right? Uh, they thought that they were being made alive by showing up to the temple, doing all your things, bowing, praying, fasting, maybe even doing the Sabbath. But in the end, the Lord was like, no, like, you're going to turn, you're going to die to your own desires, your own passions, and your own way of thinking. And you know what? You need to actually repent. And this past summer... Uh, Pastor Paul has focused so much on the inner life, right? The amount of the internal workings of what the relationship of the Spirit would look like and how does it affect us. Um, but yet, if we do know that God does so much work in our hearts, why is it that all of us here, myself included, struggle to love our neighbor? Why do we struggle to make time for people that are hurting? Why do we struggle so much when we know that this is what the Lord has called us to do? And, and the point is, this passage is interesting because it actually provides us a key and it gives us the understanding of what, uh, what that is and how do we meet that, and that is actually in fasting and in the Sabbath. And so in the first point, I just want to say, the first point of the message is God is not impressed with these people's best, right? And so if you look with me to verse 1, it says, Cry out loud, don't hold back, raise your voice like a ram's horn, tell my people their transgression, uh, and the house of Jacob, their sins. We see here that even though they're presenting themselves, God is not pleased with them. And if we jump to verse 2, it says, They seek me day after day, delight to know my ways like a nation uh, that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask for righteous judgments, the delight in the nearness of God. So even though they're doing all these things, you know, we can tell, right, that they're living like hypocrites, right? Even though they make the practices that are considered holy, they learn God's word every day, they pray, they ask God for decisions, they've fasted, um, but yet they're, they're not living up to the standard in which God has calling them to live. And if you translate it to our time, they go to church, they practice church, they do church, they pray at church, and yet there's something off, Right? And it's very similar. It's very similar to our struggle. And if you're not as Christian here today, you know, we've all done things that are half-hearted, right? Whether you're from Europe or Asia or south, from the south or the Midwest or wherever you're from, or you're just a plain non-believer, all of us have struggled to show up to functions wholeheartedly sometimes, right? Like a friend's sister's uh, um, bridal shower, right, or a co-worker's uh, sister's neighbor, first kid's first birthday, or something like that, right, or a wedding or a funeral. Um, we come there sometimes out of respect, out of an allegiance to our friendships, but deep down we're just like, oh, I'd rather be at home, I'd rather watch Netflix, I'd rather just drink wine at home by myself, or just read, right, <laughs> like you'd rather do everything else but that, but we do it anyways, we pay lip service, right, and I struggle with that. We all struggle with that. Sometimes there are certain Sundays where Reagan and I struggle to make it out of the door because it's really hard with little kids. 
Um, or we just didn't sleep enough, and so we can't stay awake. And so it just, it's just the challenges of life make it hard for us to wholeheartedly walk with God all the time. Right? And we look at verse 3, and they tell God, it said, Why have we fasted, and you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, um, look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. And so God here is not impressed with them at all, even though they've had a whole track record of fulfilling um, his way, uh, because they're not living in accordance to his heart. Right? They're still selfish. They're still self-serving. They still take advantage of the oppressed. And verse 4 says, You fast with contention and strife and to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do, hoping that you make your voice heard on high. I mean, this frustration is like when we tell our children a certain way and we live a different direction, right? Or, or kids, you're just frustrated with your parents be, and older kids, adult kids, right? Like you're frustrated with your parents because they tell you to live a, a certain way. And you do all the things on the outside, but deep down inside, you know that your heart and allegiance is not there. And God knows. God sees that, right? I mean, what God is saying in verse 4 is that prayers, when we come to God and offer prayers to him in this way, they're not going to reach heaven, right? One commentator said that. Like, it's not going to be heard, right? Because of all the hypocritical things that you're doing with your life. And in verse 5, we move along. Will I fast and choose to be like this, a day a person who will deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Right? Sackcloth and ashes, if you're not familiar, that's an extreme symbol of humiliation, of, of showing that brokenness inside. And so you can go about and show other people in the church, or your spouse, or your kids, that you're super holy, super devout, you read your devoe, and all these things, and there's no love, there's no compassion, there's no joy, there's no desire to even work on that. What are we really saying to each other? What are we really saying to God? And I think sometimes we think that we can fool God. We can make him think that, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll rep repent whatever that's supposed to mean and I'll change and I'll be fine, you know. But does not God know our hearts? Does not he know what our desires are and what we would go about to end in the condition that we're in? And the next part that I want to think about with you all is, is this concept of fasting. Because fasting, when I think about fasting, it's a denial of food, right? Especially if you're religious, you think about What's the first thing that you think about for, for fasting? Can anybody say, say a word? Lent, yeah, yeah, or not eating, right? Super hungry, yeah, for sure. Someone who's super holy, right, or like Jesus did something for his 40 days, or if you're not from a Christian background, you're a Muslim and you're watching this, like Ramadan, you, don't, you fast from food and water the entire day tonight, or you're from a Buddhist background, you have tambun or, or a different type of, of fasting for that religious holiday. Or if you're not religious, right? What do you think about for fasting? When Steve Williams was alive, um, our, our elder here, he was super uh, into intermittent fasting. He would talk to me and Reagan about it and what he did and all those types of things. But that's really popular in our culture right now. 
Or if you're older and you're over 30, right, you have routine blood work and you have to do fasting, right? Um, so fasting is not just a food thing, right? God is obviously saying it's not just a food thing. Um, it's a heart thing, right? It's, it's a devotional thing. Uh, some of us here are like, well, I don't fast, Dave. I don't even care about fasting, right? But, but the reality is we all we all fast. Some of us fast for health reasons. Some of us fast for uh, beauty or vanity reasons, right? We, or some of us fast for uh, ideological, philosophical reasons. And you can't go into Whole Foods without them making you fast for you because they won't carry products that are beyond what they agree or disagree with. So they force fast you, right? So our culture requires us to fast from certain things, right? You tune into Netflix. They will make you fast from different uh, ideologies or videos that they don't agree with. You go to Disney, they certainly give you a certain type of fast, right? So our culture is all about fasting because we choose to deny ourselves for something, hoping for a better future, right? It's not something bad. Fasting is not a bad thing. Disney's trying to do something. Netflix is trying to do something. Microsoft, all these companies, Whole Foods, they're trying to do something because they believe there's a better future. And that's a good desire in our culture. But when you do that apart from God, when you do that apart from God, it eventually comes back and becomes about us. Right? It becomes self-focused, selfish, and, and not about your neighbor, not about your hurting uh, community, right? And that leads us to our next uh, second part, right? Which is fasting is compassion and mercy. So what type of fasting does actually please God? And we see here that um, there are various images of, uh, of fasting that are actually um, a deconstruction in nature, right? So in verse 6, if you guys look with me, it says this, Isn't this the fast that I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Right? So what does that mean? That means that you are to remove the chains that bind people, right? Sometimes it's physical chains, and sometimes it's, you know, political chains, but there are a lot of things that are wrong with our world right now, right? Um, those who do predatory lending, right? They, they look for ways in which to lend you money and then trap you in the cycle. Others try to get you to spend nonstop, right? Um, if you know anything about the China Initiative, especially those of you who are in academia, uh, a lot of people are, who are of Chinese descent are looked at as spies, potentially, right? And recently, an MIT professor was released and acquitted by the Department of Justice, right? And so there are people that are accused day in and day out, broken down in our systems of society. And as Christians, we are called to deliver them from that bondage, right? And the next one, let's look at verse seven. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked that when you see him and to not ignore your flesh and blood? And so what is it? It's pretty straightforward. We are to share our bread uh, with the hungry. We are to share our food with those who have not a lot to eat. And the next is to say to give uh, shelter to the homeless, right? To give clothes to those who are of need, right? And, to, and this is a hard one. Do not hide from relatives that, you, that actually need your help. And those are all the things in which God says this is fasting, right? 
But this is hard because all of these pieces that he's asking us, right, to, to release the chains that bind people, to give bread to the hungry, to give shelter to the homeless, to give yourself to those who are in need, and especially help those within your family that have help, they both require time and money, right? I mean, there's many more as you can break it down, but for, for the sake of our sermon today, they both require time and money. And Tim Keller says this, he says, there is an inequitable distribution of goods and opportunities in this world. Therefore, if you have been assigned the goods of this world by God and you don't share them with others, it isn't just stinginess, it is injustice. And so notice though, as we're reading from verses six through seven, you notice that there's no conjunction in there, right? There's no word or, right? Do this, or this, or this, or this. It's, it's do all of this, right? And I think sometimes in our evangelical churches, as well as our own, we sometimes struggle with the, either the blue-collar mentality or the white-collar mentality, right? If you're a blue-collar or starving-collar student, you're like, I have tons of time, but I'm broke, right? Or you're later in life, you're like, I don't have a lot of time, but I, we, you know, we have a comfortable living, right? But what we see here is, is God is actually saying you are to give both your time and your money, right? And so sometimes the temptation for us is if you don't have a lot of time, you give money. But if you don't have a lot of money, you give time. And so this creates a dysfunction within our souls, right? Because we think that this is enough. But when in reality, God is saying, no, it is not enough. And it's not even about it being enough. It's about your heart, Right? If you don't have much time, if you don't have much money, it's not about that. It's about our disposition of our hearts. Where is it being pointed to? To our convenience? Or is it to honoring God with all of our mind, body, soul, and spirit? Right? And the other part that we really struggle as a culture is you're like, well, David, you know, like, I've already done so much in my church, and I've left my previous church, or whatever. I've come here, and you're telling me to do more stuff, or, or I don't even, my heart's not even in it. Why are you telling me to do stuff like my heart's not in it? That's because every facet of society doesn't operate that way, right? Like, we have toddlers right now, and... Um, all they want to do is just watch TV and watch Coco Melon and not eat and not have to worry about anything. And Reagan and I could be like, yeah, take care of yourself. Don't worry about it. Just, just take care of yourself. And we'll have a, probably a dead toddler in a week. Right? We don't train our kids like that. Right? We don't say like, oh, if your heart's in it, just do it. If your heart's not in it, don't do it. There are certain pieces that you can do that sometimes, but the things that count, you got to do it, right? You don't treat your peers at work that way. Or if you're, a dire- I mean, if you're a boss, you don't treat your directs that way, right? You've given them requirements for the project. You expect that they do whatever it takes to get this project done. And, w- and those of you who are in education, you don't train your students that way. Oh, if you don't have your heart in it today. You don't have to worry about mitochondria. Don't worry about this in the cell. Like, just know that this is a cell. Like, don't worry about the rest. Like, and they're training to be a doctor, right? Like, that doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. Like, God is not asking us to have our hearts in it all the time, but he's asking us, do you believe me? Do you trust me with your life? 
And so why does compassion and justice actually matter? We already know this. It's for the welfare of others, right? But in the reality also, it's for the welfare of us. It's for our own goodness. And we spent a lot of time with Pastor Paul in Romans 8. And we talked about um, in Romans 8, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, right? Because it is this way, it is in this way through compassion and justice that God uses to conform us to be more like in his image, right? It's not just an ethereal belief in God, you actually have to physically move your body and employ every facet of your being to serve God so that he can reconstruct you, right? And so if we read throughout the Bible, we see that there's many elements of dying and rising. Dying, rising, dying, rising. And if there's nothing that you remember out of the sermon, just remember dying and rising, right? Because this is the means when we perform compassion and justice, we are dying to ourselves. We are releasing our finances that belong to God. We are releasing our health that belong to God. We are releasing our children and family that belong to God, to God and the ways in which he's called us to use it, right? And it is in this space that when we trust him in faith, that we allow ourselves to be broken down and to be reconstructed into the image of God, right? Uh, my professor uh, in seminary said this. He says, sanctification demands in every facet, every aspect, every part or faculty of me, every relationship and action, there'll be a deconstruction of all the false ways in which I've built up structures and patterns and habits and desires and appetites and thoughts. Underneath it all loves and that he would, he would tear those down, he would pluck those up, and he would overthrow those and destroy those. And then he would build and plant something that's true and good, something that's beautiful, something that conforms to the image of God in Christ. Romans 6, the first 14 verses, this is what it means to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That we share his death, we share in his resurrection, and we are, where those in him sin is mortified or put to death, we are those in him. There is vivification, or the making a life. There is um, vivification and being made alive. And there we say deconstruction and reconstruction. And this is by Dr. Michael Allen. And so we see that throughout the Bible, God is doing this to the Israelites. He did that with the Jews, and fast 400 years into Jesus' time, he was doing this with the disciples. And the encouragement is, if we look to verse 8, Let's look to verse 8 together. It says this, Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. And at that time when you call, the Lord will answer. And when you cry, he will say, Here I am. And if you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger-pointing malicious speaking. And so when you and I decide to live this way, to reorient our lives, to reorient our time, our finances, all aspects of our being, we are slowly allowing and surrendering to God's process of reconstructing us in every way, physically, body, mentally, spiritually, into his image, right? And we, when we walk in his statutes, right, he's etching, he's etching his words into our hearts, right? I mean, let me break it down for you a little bit simpler. Um, I know that in this congregation, there's a few fitness enthusiasts or you're into sports, right? 
But for those of you who work out or um, love becoming healthy, uh, you know that there's only one way to build muscle, right? Uh, you need to eat clean, you need to drink protein or consume clean protein, um, and uh, it's in these uh, building blocks, these amino acids that being put together that actually build uh, this healthy body, right? It's the only way that your body would be replenished, right? It doesn't matter how many french fries you eat after this or all the delicious bagels that we have afterwards. Like, it's not going to build muscle, not in the way in which you hope it would, right? There's only one way. And another part of this is that we also need rest and sleep, right? And so it plays a big role of, like, eating well, and resting well and allowing your muscles to recover, that your body uh, fully becomes whole, right? There's a, there's a uh, baseball player that I love following right now named um, Shohei Otani. I don't know if there's any Otani fans, but uh, he plays with the Angels, and there's a segment on Sports Illustrated that I love following uh, called the 10... Uh, non-negotiables for, like, athletes or something like that, right? But it's usually, like, some silly thing, right? Like, uh, an athlete would get up there, and he's like, I can't live without my Chalua, right? I can't live without my Versace bag or whatever it is or, um, or iPad or iPhone. And then Shohei gets on this thing, and then six out of the ten items, it's like, oh, I love my pillow. And he's like, here's my pillow. And I love my ice machine, and this ice machine, like, you know, helps him replenish his, like, recovery state. And he's like, oh, I love my pillow suit that covers my whole body and then flows this ice through it. And I love my backpack that, like, I can put all this stuff in there. It's, like, nothing fancy. But, like, half of... And then he loves his sleep mask, right? <laughs> and so you can tell that he loves sleep, right? And, and, and so there's a way... Uh, to build muscle, there's a way that top athletes recover, right? And it requires a regimented discipline, but there's only one way. You can't do it any other way. It doesn't matter, like, how many uh, fitness instructors you got, or, like, at the beginning of the year, you got a gym pass, or, like, you're going to do this whole new um, habit training type of thing. It, it, it doesn't matter how much you do. There are parameters in which your body will recover, and there's one last thing that I was like looking through this week that was really funny. Um, have you guys ever seen the meme, uh, Friends Don't Let Friends Skip Leg Day? Have you guys seen that? Where the guy's like super jack and his legs are like super skinny, you know? Or there was another photo that was really funny, like the, uh, the girlfriend or the wife had like super jack legs and then he had like really skinny legs, and, but he was like big up there. Um, this is not about body image, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm just using this as an example because when we do only the spiritual things that are amazing to us or that we're really good at, we're like that guy. Like, we have huge muscles upstairs, right? But nothing down here, right? And God's not really interested in that. God's not interested in a person who is deficient spiritually. Like, I'm not gifted in tithing, I'm not going to tithe. Or I'm not gifted in like, cleaning up, I'm not going to clean. You know, like, that, that's not the way in which God operates. It's not how we operate in our families. It's definitely how, how we operate at work. Why do we think we can operate that way with the God of the universe? Right? He is calling all of us to surrender to him. Right? And to let him be our dad, be our loving father. And... 
He said that if you love me and if you fast and you show compassion in the poor and you fast and you sacrifice yourself in this way, I'm going to be with you. And I know that in this congregation, there's a lot of us that have served for a long, long time and we're tired or we're in a difficult season of life where serving intensely or different ways is not possible because you have health problems in the family. Um, and, and I'm not trying to, to like guilt trip anybody uh, about that. All, is, all, all this passage is trying to bring us to today is to lead us to trust him, to know that God is with us when you live yourself in this way. When you live in yourself this way, you are able to see the Lord in the fullness of this life. And when you don't, you're just missing out. And he's telling us that. And so in verse 11, it says this, the Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, strengthen your bones, and you will be watered like a garden, like a spring whose never runs dry, right? It's not about how much, right? And if you're only hearing from me like, you gotta do more, you gotta give more, you gotta give more of your time, it's not about that. Because a lot of us here have had injuries too, and we know that when we strain ourselves too far, we break. We break and we don't recover. And, in, and, and that's from our body perspective. And what, when you break spiritually, you don't come back to church. You get scarred so far that you don't want to go back to community group. You don't want to go back and make another friend who's Christian. You don't want to go back to another church that's bigoted or has hurt you in this way. You break spiritually in those ways. But God doesn't want us to go in that direction. But if we do break, he has and indeed provided us a way. And that's through the Sabbath rest. And that's the reconstruction process. So let's jump to verse 13. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it and not going your own way, seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, have you guys ever tried to take a Sabbath, especially in a busy week? Uh, this, Monday, this past Monday is usually when our family takes a Sabbath, and I was just struggling. Uh, I have two classes looming in seminary that are about to close, and uh, uh, just preparing uh, for the sermon and thinking through everything, and I was like, man, I'm going to preach on the Sabbath, and I don't even want a Sabbath. <laughs> I don't want to sit here. Um, but I needed to, you know. Um, one of the places that I love going to uh, is a park, you know, where it's alone, um, or, or the beach sometimes. Um, but it's so hard to allow ourselves to sit in silence and to sit and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> you know, you're like, I got to get out. I got to, your mind is being flooded with all the responsibilities of life, of kids, of work, of everything. And then to sit in there for the next few hours or the next few minutes is so difficult. But the point is, with Sabbath, like every other spiritual practice, it requires discipline. It requires us just to start, right? You don't, go to, you don't hit the gym and lift and bench press like 150. 
you start really small, right? You might, it's, it might be difficult and tempting to compare yourself to another person, but that's not what we ought to do. God cares and loves us and loves us as we take steps moving in that direction, right? I mean, here at Trinity, we take the Sabbath really seriously, seriously enough to let our pastor go for three months without teaching here, right? And so the application for today is everybody should take three months off, right? I wish. <laughs> I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't do that. You still have to support your families. But I know that, that, I know that some of you here might be hearing this message and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not meeting up to where I need to be. I'm not landing. I'm missing the mark in either giving or I'm missing the mark in serving or I'm not serving enough. Like the point is not even that, right? The only thing that we should be hearing today is if your sail is in the wrong direction, so imagine with me, we're all in a boat with a sail together. If the sail is in the wrong direction, we turn that sail, right? We're all going together in the same direction. It's not about going faster. Like look at me, I'm going faster than you because some of us will like have started the trip 50 years ago. And some of us have just gotten started, so it's not even fair to compare, right? So it's really about if your sail is not pointing to God, let's, let's turn our sail together in the same direction, right? In religious terms, that's what, repent, or that's what um, repentance is. It's to turn from our old way of life and to turn to God's way, right? And as we sit... And as we start to learn to grow and develop uh, patterns of being compassionate and patterns of rest in our life, as we pour ourselves out, we have to allow God to pour into us so that we have something to pour out. Otherwise, you just rot up and die or become bitter in the church, right? But in our Sabbath, rest, wh whatever day that you choose as a family, um, meditate, think, rejoice, give thanks, enjoy the wonderful gifts that God has given us, good food, good movies, good events, good Knott's Berry Farm. There, there's so many things, right? And as you and I reflect that Jesus came to die so that you and I could live. Jesus came to live a life that you and I could not live. Jesus chose the ultimate fast and sacrifice so that you and I could truly be free to be made in his image. And when we choose to live in this reality, when we actually we'll start to see God. We start to see that the sins that we used to struggle, the things that we keep on falling over and over, the things that we continually beat ourselves and have negative self-talk or imposter syndrome, starts to get crowded out with, you are loved, the church family loves you, there are friends in your life that wants to speak to you, that want to direct your sail together. And if you can't turn your sail, we're here to help you turn the sail, right? You start to desire and to see the world differently. And that is the way in which God reforms us immediately today. We don't have to wait 50 years to be changed. We can change today. And that is the gospel, friends, that Christ has died, has loved you, and has freed you so that you can live. And you've already arrived. There's not more to do but to simply believe and keep walking. And so what are the applicational steps? Next steps, compassion. We're always in need of people that would, would have a heart to join our team. We love that. Mission, as those of you guys who don't know already, I've stepped down from leading the missions team, so there's a vacancy that needs someone. So if you're a member here and you have a heart for missions to serve those 
who are in need from an international basis, uh, let me know. Um, we, we need uh, someone to help facilitate. And last but not least, the Sabbath rest opportunity. I know it's on a Sabbath work day. <laughs> We're on a work day, but it, it, um, we chose that for a reason because we want us to practice as a church body. How do we rest together so that there are many more years of joy, love, and passion so that those that don't know Christ in orange would know and that would see him. But I don't know what those next steps are for you. But God does. So I would just invite you to pray today. Ask him. Invite him. Let him show you the gravity of his love for you and the direction that he's leading you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, once again um, for such a difficult message. Uh, Sometimes I know that all of us here, myself included, um, that we feel depressed about our growth. We feel uh, discouraged. We feel like we're stagnant. Or we might feel like this is a great season. Um, Whatever season that we're in, Lord, I pray that you continue to just drive us uh, closer to you. Help us to be uh, more loving, kind. Um, help us to fall more in love with you, Lord, that we could love others in the way you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.